Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. First, the parent will not be aware. They'll just think that they, you know, are having a difficult time with their children. It's the children's fault. It's the parent's fault. It's the other parent's fault. It's the teacher's fault. It takes a long time for parents to wake up to realize wow, I am co-creating this dynamic with my child. And until I change my part, nothing's going to change in the child. It often takes a crisis for parents to come to someone like me to ask for change. When they do start seeing the pattern, it's very clear everywhere. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur. And I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest in returning to the podcast is Dr. Shafali. Dr. Shafali received her doctorate in clinical psychology from Columbia University, and she specializes in the integration of Western psychology and Eastern philosophy so that she can bring together the best of both worlds for her clients. She's an expert in family dynamics and personal development, teaching courses around the globe. She's an expert in family dynamics and personal development and teaches courses around the globe. She has written six books, three of which are New York Times bestsellers, including her two landmark books, The Conscious Parent and The Awakened Family. Today on the show, we discuss fantasies that parents need to do away with, subtle ways to build connection with your kids, how to practice conscious parenting, how parents can detach from their kids' level of success, why you should look to connect before correcting your kid, how to model healthy behavior, and so much more. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Dr. Shafali back to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Dr. Shafali, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's great to see you again, and I was quite impressed with your latest book, The Parenting Map. I'm super inspired by all of your work, but this was like next level. And I think a good place for us to to start is you talk about early in the book, you talk about that we need to destroy this fantasy that parents have. Talk about what the, the fantasy is and why we need to do away with that and move towards something else. Well, we have many fantasies. <laughs> Um, because culture has not been telling us the truth about parenthood. So there are lots of false delusions that we carry. One of the false beliefs is that we parents know it and should know it all, and it should be intuitive because they are our children. So culture has told parents that we should just know what to do And we have the infinite wisdom within us. Now, while on some level, we do have some wisdom, but this idea that we are superior in our knowledge just by the fact that we have these children is a fantasy. The second fantasy that we have is that we are supposed to be in control. We should have control. We uh, can have control. Children can be controlled and should be controlled. 
Number three, uh, if they're not uh, under our control, it's their fault and we can do something about it. And that's why we have tomes and so much written about discipline. The other fantasy we have is that we should raise superstars, uh, super successful, super sonic children. And then another fantasy we have is that it's our job to make our children happy. So all of this is like a combustible cocktail of lies that really set us off on the wrong trajectory and make us believe things that we shouldn't believe and cause feelings in us that we shouldn't have within us. And the end result is that the child gets the brunt of it. And the child gets this idea or this feeling that they are not good enough unless and until they match the parent's fantasy. And it, it really is the cause of much stress and conflict in ours and our children's lives. There's so much to unpack there. And I guess to start, one of the things that really stood out to me is you talked about how you know parents think they know everything about their children because they're their children intuitively they know everything and i always feel like i'm i'm not a parent but i i think a lot of my friends are always trying to figure out how do i get to know my child better how can i communicate with my child better so we can build a better connection um what are some steps that, that parents can take to do that oh my goodness <laughs> see it's like saying i want to live a healthier life i want to have a better connection with my children that comes after so much internal work and preparedness. It's just like wanting to eat well, and you think it's a one, two, three strategy. And so you're like, that's it. I'm just not going to have the carbs or the sugar. Okay, that's great, but it won't last. So the reason why things don't last or that something as deep as connection or health need so much preparedness is because there are blocks within us that keep coming up and ruining it, sabotaging it. So while we all know we shouldn't have sugar, there's a reason we all have sugar, right? And it's something about the internal craving, the internal connection that is messed up that causes us to keep in a loop. So in order to have better connection with our children, that's a great goal. But first we have to uncover all the internal obstructions that stop us from that. Obviously, we all know we should, you know, have a great connection, but it's such a rare thing because we keep messing up. So my books teach parents why they're messing up, what's in the way and how to break it down. So connection is a great goal, but there's 1000 things we have to do before that. So some of the things we need to do before that are number one really examine these false belief systems that I just talked about. The idea that you should have control, the idea that you know it all, the idea that you need to raise supersonic perfect children, the idea that you need to raise happy children. First, let's decontaminate from these toxic belief systems. Then the second step is to heal yourself from the baggage, emotional baggage of your childhood. What has been your emotional baggage? And let's uncover those patterns and heal the patterns because we have inherited so much baggage from our parents that we don't realize is in operation. And then we'll be ready to connect to our children. So 
we all want the quick fix and the gimmick and the strategy. Just tell me what to do. But I never tell parents what to do right away because it won't be sustainable. So even my book, The Parenting Map, is laid out. It has 20 steps, but the first 14 steps or 15 steps are all about cleaning up the mind space so that you're coming in with the right attitude and the right approach. And then the last six steps are all about concrete strategies for connection. They will become effortless, but you can't do those strategies until you do those other steps first. And I have 20 steps that I laid out in the book. Yeah. I really appreciate how you laid out all that in the book because you're right. Like a lot of it comes down to how we ourselves like show up in relationships, whether that's when, we're in a relationship with a child or with a spouse, like it all depends on like how we connect to ourselves. And I know a lot of your work is stemmed from your own experience as well. And I know you talk a bit about that in the book, like how has your experience as a parent changed over the years and how did that inspire you to write the book? You know, my own experience with my own parenting and my client's parenting has really shown me how powerful conscious parenting is. And I think seeing it in practice, and I have a coaching institute, so I coach people to do what I do. So doing this over and over again has kind of systematized my thinking and created a very concrete strategy. So that's what I've put in this book, The Parenting Map. It's a real how-to strategic approach to creating the most sustainable, deep connection with yourself and your children. And I think I needed time. The other books were the what and the why, and this book is the how, but I needed to implement the what and the why, do it over and over and over and again to create a system. And now I created a system. And that's what people will get from this latest book, The Parenting Map. It is so clear. It's so systematic. I give exercises. I give strategies. I give the how-to. I give the language. Um, it's so simple now. It's like really the how-to for the basic beginner who wants to learn conscious parenting. I think anyone who reads the book and does the exercises will immediately transform their relationship with their children. And speaking of the how-to and unpacking what people can do personally, one of the things we touched on earlier is you said that like essentially parents have this fantasy that every single kid is going to be ultra successful and they're going to raise the superstar and the professional athlete and all these things. And that I think what happens is if that doesn't happen, then the parent's level of self-esteem and self-worth is dependent on that. Exactly. What's the process? Like, I know there's not a quick fix for this, but if somebody's listening to this and they're interested in, in reading your book and they want to unlearn like this particular pattern, how can they start to do that? Well, so the pattern has to be decoded and demystified in several stages. The first stage is this whole idea of success and perfection is an illusion. So first we need to teach parents that, listen, this narrow way of defining success is erroneous. It's misguided and it's causing suffering. Everybody cannot be an Adele or a Michael Jackson or a Bill Gates. And nor should they be. Nor should they be. So we demystify this for the parents and show them that this is not the ingredient. This is not the missing secret sauce. Just being wealthy or famous is not the answer to for everybody. It's only for a few people. And even for those people, it may not bring them prosperity. 
So we demystify this whole attachment to success and perfection. And then we teach the parent that it's far more important for the child's self-worth that they be seen for who it is they are versus who they should become. And when parents begin to see that and then reflect in their own life that, wow, you're right. You know, I haven't been seen for who I am. That's my greatest longing. I want that more than anything. So when the parent begins to touch that in their own life, then they realize, wow, I didn't get it. And is there a way that I can give it to my child? And that's how you break it down for the parent. But it takes time. It's not something that culture allows us to believe. Culture has dinned it into us that we should raise super achieving, super wealthy, super talented, super famous, super rich people, and, and that we should be all those things. And all of that is a lie. That is not the pathway to inner peace. It's just not. And so my books really teach parents to let go that attachment in their own lives so that then they can let it go in their children's lives. And then the pathway for peace and inner contentment just opens up. And so with that said, I would say that maybe somebody who's listening to this, who, who is a parent, one of their concerns after hearing this is well, they might say like, well, how do I know I'm that, that I'm not getting in the way of, you know, my kid living up to their full potential if I take this approach and I don't like push them? Like, how can parents bridge that gap to make sure that they're encouraging their kids to like do the best they can and and help, you know, empower them without like taking it too far like you just described? Well, that's it. It's very easy to take it too far. So parents, that's why I said it's like a diet. It's not just an intellectual understanding. It's a, it's an emotional understanding that these things are actually toxic. So when you are aware that pushing your child too much is actually detrimental for their self-esteem, then you're going to be very careful. And the understanding that when children feel celebrated and honored for who it is they are, naturally, as they organically are, that creates a foundation of worth that can become the, the bedrock and the wellspring of their achievements. Let your job be injecting them with self-worth. Let their job be what they do with it. Your job is not to raise a superstar. Your job is to see the ordinariness of your children, the ordinary, average, regular essence of your child and celebrate that. So then the child feels so self-worthy that they're like, oh, wow, my mother loves me for no reason. Now I can do a lot with that work out in the world versus telling your child, you need to be more, you need to be more. By the time they're 21, they're going to be burnt out. What have been some of your best practices as a mom, as a parent to help your kids feel seen for who they are, helping them nourish their, their own self-worth? Well, two big things. One is I have a mantra, which is the mantra of conscious parenting, which is connect before you correct. So every time I want to scream the hell out of my child and really yell at her and I'm angry, I now know after many times of making that mistake that that's going to get me nowhere. So find a way to connect. So I say things like, I know you didn't mean to lose the thousand dollars or whatever. I know you didn't mean it. And I hear you. I understand. I know you're tired. I know you're distracted. That's why you didn't do your homework. 
So I always find a way to connect to her, huma her humanity. And then I do the correction once she's open. Uh, and the reason for this is every child is human and every child is trying the best they can with the consciousness they have. And so when you, you show children that you trust that, then they lean into you and they open up to you. And the second thing I try to do is remember that children only make mistakes because of three reasons. Number one, their brain is not yet developed, so they don't have the skills. Number two, they don't have the practice because they haven't lived long enough. And number three, it's because they are lacking in worth. So lacking in skills, lacking in practice, lacking in worth. And when I can keep this in mind, then I can enter deep compassion for my child. You know, so just remembering that connection matters more than correction and control and that she's a human being and that there's a reason she's acting out. And I try to always tap into the need beneath the behavior. What is the need beneath the behavior? The behavior is pissing me off, but the behavior is not the whole story. There's something going on underneath that I need to tap into. I love that. And taking this like one step further, let's just say that you're dealing with something that repeats over and over again. You're, you're trying to work on the underlying root cause, but let's just say that you know, let's just say a sibling's like hitting at the other sibling, right? And it's because of something underneath that's bothering them, but it keeps happening. Like, what is your discipline, accountability approach with, with something like that? Well, it all depends on the age of the child. So I cannot answer that in a blanket way. But I do know that when you take one sibling side over the other, it's going to make things worse. I do know that sibling rivalry is normal and natural. I do know that sometimes parents have favorites, even though they say they don't. I do know that parents' anxiety when children fight gets in the way, and we don't let children problem solve on their own. I do know that conflict scares us. So when our children have conflict with each other, it terrifies us because of our own unhealthy relationship with conflict. And children need mediation sometimes. Sometimes they need no mediation. Sometimes they need mediation. So it really depends but I would encourage parents who have siblings who don't listen or are constantly competing and fighting to take a course. There are many courses on sibling rivalry. You know, Dr. Laura Markham is a friend of mine. She has a great book on siblings. There are strategies. There are tools. You don't have to do this alone. It's, it's exhausting to raise more than one child who then fights with each other. So get the support that you need. Take a course. Don't act like you know it all. Such such great advice. And I think along the same lines, one of the biggest things that I think parents have a hard time with now is what, how they handle when kids go through hardship. I, I had a, a parent actually reach out to me and I don't have kids, but we had, I had a similar experience as what her kid's going through. So she reached out to me and she was like, hey, my kid's you know having trouble with his weight. He's having trouble at school. Like, what do I do? And so I thought this would be like a perfect, like real life situation to talk to you about because I'm not a parent. So it's hard for me to really answer. I could only just share my own experience. But like if one of your kids was going through something like that, where they were maybe being bullied at school, struggling with their weight and their self-image, um, how would you begin to address that? Yeah, it's it's not easy. And depending on the age, I would maybe recruit a therapist to talk to them uh, and really teach them that there are bullies in the world. And there's a way to handle bullies, which is to believe in yourself and let the bully be a bully, but not let it get into you. Listen, it's so hard, right? You're, I don't know who this kid is, 
but for the parent to not give lectures, not give sermons, not tell the child that they need to change, they, the child needs to feel safe, but also not blow it out of proportion. Like bullies exist everywhere. So keep your child safe if they're being threatened physically or emotionally abused. But if it's not physical and emotional abuse, and it's just somebody being a pest, don't blow it out of proportion either. Teach your child, it's okay, there are bullies everywhere, and give, give them strategies. This is what you say to a bully. You know, I remember teaching my daughter one sentence to handle all bullying situations, and it wasn't very creative, but I'm gonna just give it to parents if they want it. I told my daughter to, anytime somebody says something you don't like, you just say this, and this was the line. And the line was, have you looked in the mirror? Have you looked at yourself in the mirror? That was a anything somebody said like, oh, you're so stupid. She should just say, have you looked at yourself in the mirror? And just come back with an answer. And if you teach children to come back with an answer and move on and also move on in your own life, in your house, don't keep talking about it. Then we teach children that, yeah, life sucks. People are bullies. What to do? I cannot clean it up. But if it's abusive and somebody is physically threatening your child, then you have to take action. Go to the principal, call the parents, leave the school, but that's only in really rare situations. And I think the antidote to everything though, it's not a complete erasure, but it's, it's not an eraser and it cannot completely wipe it out, but a true antidote really is connection. So make sure when your children are under the age of 13, you're spending a lot of one-on-one -on -one time. You're monitoring their social media. Hopefully they're not on social media. You're monitoring their internet use. You are making sure you're spending a lot of time with them, that they're getting exercise, they're eating well. And that is the main antidote. Now, again, it's not an erasure, but it's, it's some sort of immunity uh, for the tragic level of emotional violence that can occur in schools along these same lines it seems that it's incredibly hard for parents to watch their kids struggle right and for them to come home and be in tears and be feel uncomfortable and again i can't imagine how a parent feels when they're going through that and with that said i know you talk about in the book like the savior complex and that so many parents want to just save their kids and fix all their problems and that creates more long-term problems down the road, as we know. Where does the savior complex come from and how can parents begin to transform their relationship with that? Well, the savior complex is complex, but it comes from uh, this idea that you can save someone and that it's our job to save our children from pain. Now, on some level, we need to save our children from some pain, mostly the pain of our own unconsciousness and our own abuse. We don't want our children to be exposed to too much stress and tension and upheaval. We want to protect them. So there's one level of protection that is natural and healthy. But then when we want to rescue them from feeling big feelings or not experiencing life's struggles, which are inevitable, then we are actually pandering to their escapism. Then we are pandering to actually overprotecting them to the point of it being a detriment. So the parent has to have awareness 
of when it's natural and inevitable for this sort of thing to happen. So most bullying situations, for example, are kind of, you know, natural and inevitable. They're going to happen. But then the parent needs to know when does it cross over to abuse. So we cannot protect them from everything. In fact, we should not protect them from most things. But then we should also know when to step in and protect them. Right? And the more present we are, the more peaceful, calm, patient we are, we will know intuitively when to step in and when not to. But when we use our children to save ourselves, that's when it becomes the most deadly and toxic. And that's why I love how you talk about it's so important for the parents to really do the work on themselves and make sure that they're feeling secure, conscious, high level of self-worth so that they can know that what they're dealing with is actually a problem with the kid and not necessarily a problem with themselves, right? And I know we touched on the beginning that it's this long journey to really have this self-discovery process as a, as a parent to understand like why a lot of this stuff is going on. And I would imagine a lot of parents come to your work in the midst of parenting kids because they're like, what the heck, like, this is not working. Like I need to make some massive shifts. And so I know, again, it's it's a lot of work, but you're also, they're also trying to raise kids. So how can they kind of make all this work where they're trying to raise their kids while also doing all this self-discovery work? I think the more you do this work that I talk about in the parenting map, the less hard parenting becomes. Because a lot of stuff we've put on our plate is unnecessary. We are really the creators of our own struggles. So when you learn what I'm talking about in the parenting map, you actually make your load lighter. So yes, it's investment on the front end, but it's such a payout on the back end. Um, it's just like going to the gym. It's just like, you know, cutting the salad. It takes time to cut the salad. It takes time, you know, you have to juice so much to get one glass of juice, yes. But there's a payoff, ultimately. It's a buildup and it's a payoff. And that's, it's a, it's a long arc that we're looking for, not an immediate gratification. And if you don't take the time to do your inner work and you keep parenting from your blindness and your shadow, you will actually be cumulatively adding so much extra burden on you without realizing. Going back to connecting with kids, let's just say a parent has gotten to a place where they're, they're doing the work and they, they're feeling like they're on this path of consciousness and self-discovery. And they're saying to themselves, like, I'm having a hard time connecting with my kid. This kid like grew up in a world of social media. I didn't. I grew up 30 years ago. I grew up in a completely different world. Would have been some of your best strategies as a parent to connect more with your kids? Every generation, I think, feels alienated. But I do agree with this. My generation feels more alienated because we were the last ones without technology. And then technology came. But, you know, it's constant adaptation. That's not an excuse to say, I, this is, you know, this is completely new to me. We have to adapt to every kid, to every life phase, and to the new times. And we, we must find a way to understand where children are, connect with them, but also have very empowered, clear, concise, conscious boundaries. Taking a sidestep in, this, in the same thread of this conversation, like parents are trying to unlearn some of these dysfunctional patterns that have um, kind of plagued them for years that are now showing up in how they, they parent their kids. How can parents start to become more aware of what these patterns are so that they can start making 
uh, better choices. Yeah, at first the parent will not be aware. They'll just think that they, you know, are having a difficult time with their children. It's the children's fault. It's the parents' fault. It's the other parents' fault. It's the teacher's fault. It takes a long time for parents to wake up to realize, wow, I am co-creating this dynamic with my child. And until I change my part, nothing's going to change in the child. It often takes a crisis for parents to come to someone like me to ask for change. When they do start seeing the pattern, it's very clear everywhere. I know my pattern, for example, and I see it all the time. Even though I'm doing the work, I still see the pattern, but I, I can now make choices to not act blindly from that pattern. So it's so important for parents to get help. That's why I say that that delusion that we should just know what to do is keeping us from getting the help that we need and is actually making things worse. Because if we could just say we don't know, then we get the help we need and then we make less errors, you know, we screw it up less. And that's why parents need to enter humility and read books and take courses and reach out for help and not think that they know it all. That's such a lie. And I think one of the other things that parents have a hard time with now is like talking to their kids about the way of the world. Like I would say like right now, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of polarization. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of sadness. There's just a lot where you're, I've heard people say, I used to want kids, but now I don't even know if I can raise kids in this world that people are afraid to have kids because of the dynamic that we live in. Um, how do you, how do you encourage parents to like, you know, talk to their kids about all this stuff? You know, you don't want to turn kids away with too many lectures and doom and gloom scenarios, you know? So I would say instead of, you know, angling it like, oh my God, there's so many things going wrong. You can pragmatically talk about the dangers of some of the things, but I would say for the most part, try to find a way to connect to things that you do like, instead of talking about things you don't like, right? You don't want them to feel like, oh, my mom is so old fashioned. Oh, she's always doom and gloom. You want to, because they are living this reality. So how much can the older generation keep saying, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. Find something amazing so that they feel like you can see their work. And then also talk about the ills of, you know, processed food, too much social media, too much internet addiction. Yes, those things are realities, but instead of focusing on that, focus more on the positive connection that you can build with your child. And so talking about empowering your kids to make healthy choices, obviously this can be a touchy subject as we've talked about a few times with you don't want to push your kid too far to do something where they feel like their self-worth is dependent on something external. What What are some good strategies for parents to, to model healthy behavior? Well, you know, it's about where you put your focus. Many parents put the focus on uh, good achievements. You know, the other day I was telling a, a parent, you know, when is the last time you praised your child just because they were there and didn't wait for an achievement? When is the last time you expressed love for your child just like that because they were there and they couldn't remember when? So we wait for achievements and praise and then we're, we're wondering why our child has low self-esteem. It's because we've trained them to think that their self-esteem is based on uh, the achievement and the validation from a doing activity versus just a being state of mind and existence. 
So we get to celebrate our children how we want. And if we keep putting focus on the achievement, then they're going to think that that's what they are. And then they're going to feel terrible when that achievement is not happening in their life. They're going to feel really um, dismal about who it is they are. With something like diet and exercise, I feel like that can be a slippery slope where parents are encouraging their kids to exercise and move more or eat a certain way. Kids can internalize it and think that there's something wrong with them or the parents are just trying to like help their kids, you know, be healthy um, long-term. I know you, you obviously touched on like the importance of health and wellness. You're passionate about it. Um, how have you been successful in instilling that in your kids? Yeah, it's difficult. You have to make sure that they are connected to you so they know you're not shaming them. You're not body slamming them. You're just literally talking about health and you do it in your own life. So when they see you modeling it, then they go, yeah, my mother is like that. But they don't take it personally like you're pointing out that there's something wrong with them. It is so important to be careful with how you talk to your kids about health and wellness because you don't want them to end up developing a negative self-image of themselves like as a result of it. And so I guess like the last question I have so as we kind of bring everything um, to a close here, is that how can, I think one of the, the biggest struggles that parents talk about too is like, how can they help their kids like self-regulate? How can they help them manage their own stress? So if you could just talk for a minute or two about that, and then I think the audience would love to know where they can connect with you and get the parenting map. So self-regulation is really a, uh, a lifelong journey of mastery. And most of us ourselves cannot regulate. But the best way children learn to regulate is when we A, let them express their feelings in a safe way, and B, when we model self-regulation. And when we are okay with big feelings, they learn to be okay with big feelings. But if the atmosphere in the house is stressed and tense and negative and critical, then the children are not going to regulate. Um, so... Yeah, my book is called The Parenting Map. Um, it's got 20 steps. It's full of strategies and tips and tools. So grab a book if you want to have a better relationship with your children. Amazing. Well, I will be sure to include the links to that stuff in the show notes. So Dr. Shafali, um, wanted to thank you once again for taking the time to do this and to come back on the show. And for those listening, what I invite you to do is share a takeaway. We covered so much ground on parenting and why it's so important to address your own stuff before trying to take it out on your kids. We talked about some of the biggest fantasies that need to be destroyed as far as parenting. We talked about, you know, not forcing your kids to be successful. We just talked about self-regulation. We talked about healthy habits. We talked about connection. We covered so much. So what I invite you to do Share your biggest takeaway and tag Dr. Shafali and tag myself because we'd love to hear your feedback. And we once again thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and we'll see you next time.